the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Risen from the dead to rise to heaven. Next on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. And again, greetings. Welcome to today's broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. As we continue our survey of Luke, we do so here in Luke 24, focusing in on a mini-series we've entitled The Ascension of Jesus. We're focusing in on part two of this mini-series. Please join us, Luke 24, verses 33 through 53, with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner. The problem is that the view of God of most Americans today who are unbelievers is not what God has revealed of Himself. It is not an understanding of God that they have gotten from Him. It is an understanding of God that they have created in their own minds in an effort to try and keep from having to deal with the God who is really there. So as a result, their God is too small. Their God is like a gentle, big granddaddy who lets you just get away with things that he shouldn't allow. That's the way many think of God. You see, God considers all aspects of your sins, and he knows it's not your fault. He knows there are other aspects of your environment that you can't control that leads to your sin. You know, you commit adultery, but it's, it's not your fault. Bless your heart. That other person had too great a power over you, and the lust was just more than you could deal with. You know, you don't really want to lie, but if you hadn't, the consequences would have been too severe. Others may have been harmed, or your ministry to others would have been damaged beyond repair. They're just mitigating circumstances. It's the way my parents raised me. It's my environment. People need to be enlightened as to who God is. A holy God. A God who is so impeccably pure that he hates, loathes, and despises the smallest sin in a person's life and is determined to destroy that person for his sins unless he repents. But you say, preacher, that's not the God I serve. That may be true, but that is the only God there is. And you need to be enlightened by the Holy Spirit as to who God is. And not only as to who you are and who God is, but to who Jesus is. Jesus isn't just one of the greatest men that ever lived. He's one of a kind. He is the God-man who came to earth to mediate between God and sinners, to live a perfect life, to die on a cross in place of those who believe in Him, and to arise from the dead in order to conquer death for us. And now He reigns over everything. 
Is that the way you think of Jesus? Or do you think of him the way PBS and the History Channel and the Discovery Channel portray him? Oh, a great Galilean wise man. Mysterious, but he loved everybody. You need to be enlightened. Repentance starts with enlightenment, but it goes on to humiliation. After being illumined concerning our own sinfulness before God, the repentant person now strips himself of all self-love, all self-righteousness, and self-boasting. He lays flat on his face before God, and he cries, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. There's nothing in me to put my confidence in. There's nothing in me that can claim righteousness. All of my righteousness is as filthy rags. There is nothing good in me to love apart from what God does in me. And he doesn't compare himself to other men and say, well, you know, compared to that adulterer, and that pervert, and that wife abuser, I'm a pretty good guy. I've never done any of those things. But you see, the standard of justice is not in those other people. The standard of justice is God's holy character and God's holy law. That is the light by which we are to judge ourselves. And when we realize what God demands of us and how far short we have fallen, we fall flat on our faces in deep humiliation and we cry out, not Lord, I'm thankful that I'm not like those other miserable people, but God be merciful to me the sinner. Paul, one of the greatest Christians that ever lived, said, this is a faithful saying and unworthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. Now I say, not meaning this, of course, that that is one of the mistakes in the Bible. Why? Because I know I'm the chief of sinners. I truly, by God's grace, see myself as the chief of sinners. Of course, it's not really a mistake. But the point is, when a Christian sees himself in the light of God's face, and God's law, he is so broken that he sees himself as the only sinner in the world. There is no sinner as filthy and vile and wretched and hell-deserving as I am. With illumination and repentance comes humiliation and the cry to God to be merciful to me, the sinner, and to find in God's mercy our only hope through the Lord Jesus Christ. Then the third ingredient, Spurgeon said, to true repentance is detestation. The person who is repenting of his sins goes a step further than just sorrow for his sins. And boy, this is really psychologically incorrect. He must come to detest his sin and hate himself for sinning against God. Now that is an absolutely essential ingredient to repentance, that he comes to the point where he detests his sin. He looks at the sins that he commits in his life and what it does to himself and other people, and more importantly, how it displeases his Creator, and he hates his sin and hates himself for sinning. And if you think that's too strong a statement, let me read to you Ezekiel 36, 31. Then, and this is when God gives you a new heart, you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will 
loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. But you might be saying to yourselves, I don't see myself as that bad. I just can't bring myself to say I loathe myself. Oh, I I do feel guilty. But overall, I'm a pretty good guy. Brothers and sisters, we're not talking about, I mean, we are talking about true repentance here. We're talking about repentance without which a person will never experience the saving effects of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that repentance always includes enlightenment, who I am before God, who God is, in whose light I stand, who the Lord Jesus Christ is, and it includes humiliation. I am broken, flat on my face, when I realize that I am the wretch that I am, and I will hate my sin and myself. The one great desire of my life, we will say, is to quit sinning, whether I get caught or not. And of course, we will sin until the day we die. But the bent of our life is to cease sinning. Do you really hate your sin? And do you truly hate yourself for sinning? Ask yourself those two questions seriously, beloved. Then fourthly, there is transformation. Illumination, humiliation, detestation, and transformation. That is... The repentant person turns from his life of disobedience to God to a life of faith in Christ and obedience to God's law. Now that is the essence of repentance, transformation. The repentant person turns from his life of disobedience to God, living for himself, to a life of faith in Jesus Christ and obedience to God's law. That is what the word repentance means in the Greek, metaneo. It means a change of mind that leads to a change of life. It means you were walking in a direction away from God, living your own life, doing what you want to do, and then a transformation takes place. God works in your life, illuminates you, gives you a new heart, turns you around, and you find yourself walking in a new direction. You are now walking toward God. You're seeking to obey Him and seeking to serve Him. And you're drawing strength from Him to live for Him and no longer for yourself. To make as the goal of your life not what you want, but what God wants for your life. Here's a little song I came across during my studies this week. Repentance is to leave the sins we loved before and to show that we in earnest grieve by doing so no more. Let me read to you what I think is the best definition that I know of of repentance. It's about 400 years old, and it was taken from the Westminster Confession of Faith. And for those of you who don't know, that is the doctrinal statement of our church. Listen, this is a great sentence. And your eternal destiny may hang on your understanding of this paragraph. It says, by repentance, a sinner, out of the sight and sense, not only of the danger, but also the filthiness of his sins, as contrary to the holy nature and righteous law of God, 
and upon the apprehension of his mercy in Christ to such as are penitent, so grieves for and hates his sins as to turn from them all unto God, purposing and endeavoring to walk with him on all the ways of his commandments. Did you notice the two natures of true repentance here in this paragraph? A person realizes how filthy he is before God, as well as the danger of a situation. And secondly, he understands that the mercy that is in the Lord Jesus Christ is for him if he believes. And so because he grieves over his sins and hates his sins, he turns from them all to God. He turns from all of his sins to God. Now, what does that tell you? Well, since you're going to sin until you die, Repentance isn't a one-time deal. You don't say, well, I repented of my sins 20 years ago. I'm good now. As long as you sin, you are to repent. And as long as you repent, God will grant you forgiveness. But there's another side. It's not just a turning from things. It is a purposing and an endeavoring to walk with him and all of his commandments. So because you realize the danger and filthiness of your condition and the mercy of God revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you so grieve over your sin and hate your sin that you turn from them all to God and you do two things, purposing and endeavoring to walk with him in daily fellowship through prayer a daily Bible study, and worship, and fellowship with other brothers and sisters, and to walk in obedience to his commandments. So you turn around by his grace to live in daily fellowship with him, to draw from the power of his presence, and to live an entirely new life, where the great desire of your life is now to please God by being in obedience to him, even though you don't do it perfectly, rather than to live that life of disobedience. But there are these two participles. It says, he hates his sin as to turn from them all unto God, purposing and endeavoring to walk with God in all the ways of his commandments. Purposing and endeavoring. Now the word endeavoring is very important here. Because if all it said was purposing, then all it would be saying is turn from your sins and just purpose in your heart or decide that you're going to obey God. You don't have to endeavor. You don't have to try. Just want to. Well, what's the road to hell paved with? The road to hell is paved with good intentions, purposing, which never seems to see the light of day in a person's life. And that's why the confession says that repentance is not only a desiring or a purposing to walk with God in obedience, but is an actual endeavoring, letting the purpose come to the surface in a person's life and having some measure of success with walking with God and obeying him. So the goal of your life as a repentant person is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What... uh, was your purpose before you repented. It was to glorify yourself and enjoy yourself forever, or at least to glorify the God of your own making in your own image. Well, all of that 
has changed once you repent. Joe Moorcraft tells a story about a young girl he actually never met. He had only seen a, a uh, portrait of her in her parents' home, and her parents were actually members of Joe's church a number of years ago. And I believe this story is apropos for me to tell at this point. This young girl's grandmother lived in an enormous antebellum home with large white pillars in the front and, you know, with beautiful gardens all around. And she was in her grandmother's kitchen when her grandmother said, Sweetheart, you're 17 years old now, and you need to start thinking about your future. And, you know, possibly going to college where you can meet a nice young lawyer or a doctor that can provide for you so that someday you can have what your grandfather provided for me. Well, this young girl looked at her grandmother and she said, Grandma, those things are nice. I wouldn't mind having a big house and a nice car and beautiful furniture and such someday. But man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. She then walks out of her house to go to the grocery store. She walks through the garden gate. She gets into her car, pulls out of the driveway onto a busy highway, and a tractor trailer hits her and kills her. Can you imagine the tragedy of this situation if the last thing anyone ever heard this young lady say was, you're right, grandmother, life is not worth living without wealth and prestige and ease and affluence. And then second later, she is dead. The last thing anyone ever heard this young lady say was, grandmother, wealth is nice, but man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. These are the words of a 17-year-old girl who knew what repentance means. Do you? Well, what happens when you repent? What happens when you really and truly repent? Let's see what Luke quotes Jesus as saying. He quotes him as saying, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead, and the third day, on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. That's what you get when you repent. Every sin that you have ever committed in your life is blotted out. God says, I will not remember your sins against you any longer. Those sins that were a barrier between you and me, that brought your life emptiness under my curse are entirely wiped out. The moment you repent, God says, I blot out all of your sins. <coughs> I hide them behind my back. I will never remember them again, ever against you. There will be nothing that separates you and me throughout all eternity because of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things that people realize, although they may not admit it or even to others, is that what they need more than anything else is forgiveness. Forgiveness of a life of regrets. Forgiveness of a life of full of self. Forgiveness of a life lived in defiance against God's law. 
Forgiveness for pitting our wills against the will of Almighty God. Forgiveness for putting our own self-interests ahead of the interests, welfare, and enjoyment of other people. Forgiveness for sinning against God's law before God's very face. And how do you get rid of that guilt? How do you receive forgiveness? Well, beloved, repentance doesn't do it. I don't think that what Jesus is saying here is that you repent adequately, then your sins will be forgiven. There is nothing meritorious, again, about repentance. But if you repent of your sins in the sense that I have described, which involves embracing Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you trust in Him alone for salvation, that moment God forgives every sin in your life, not just because you repented, Not just because you believed, but because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did 2,000 years ago in living for you and dying for you and arising from the dead for you. That is the basis of forgiveness of sins. And if if you walked in this room today with a guilty conscience, you can walk out of this room today like a ratio just consumed with guilt, and you can walk out of this room today as if a 500-pound rock had been taken off your back. You can leave this room with your sins forgiven and with the awareness that they are forgiven through true repentance. And let me conclude with a short little sentence from the Westminster Confession of Faith. Maybe God had the Westminster Divines write this for you 400 years ago. Here is what you get when you repent. It says, as there is no sin so small, but it deserves damnation. So there is no sin so great that it will bring damnation upon those who truly repent. Don't you love it? Any sinner who's aware of his guilt will love that sentence. Let me read it to you again. As there is no sin so small, but it deserves damnation. Stop. It's not just the big sins, serial killers, perverts, child molesters. It is any sin from the smallest, any transgression of or infraction against or disregarding of God's law and Scripture that makes you deserving of eternal damnation in hell. I didn't make that up, beloved. That is what God says. The soul that sinneth, not just big sins, it shall die. The wages of sin, any sin, is death. Death eternal is what you get when you sin. Don't try to whitewash any of that. Whatever sin there is in your life, and I can guarantee you that you are aware of only about one thousandth of the sins in your life. There is no sin in your life so small, but it deserves eternal damnation. So there is no sin so great. Sexual perversion, perversion, murder, adultery, cursing God. There is no sin so great that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent. I don't care what you've done. I don't care if you're the worst, most immoral, godless, filthy, corrupt, polluted, perverted person that ever lived. It does not matter. If you repent, those sins are forgiven and the doors of heaven will be opened to you. So when you truly repent, 
It doesn't matter how great your sins are, no matter how many sins you committed, no matter how big they are. None of your sins can ever send you to hell and bring damnation on those who truly repent. Now that's the gospel. That is what the resurrected Jesus Christ said is the hope of the future of the human race and every individual and family within it. Do you believe in the gospel? Do you believe in a crucified Savior and a risen and reigning Lord? Are you continually repenting of your sins? If you are repenting of your sins, your sins are forgiven. And nothing in eternity, in life or in death, in heaven or in hell, can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB, that stands for Post Mailbox, number 402-1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.